Jesus, you alone are the only one who's worthy of all the glory and the honor and the praise. And as we turn the gaze of our hearts to you this Christmas season, I ask that you'd meet us there and that you would take us where we are and draw us closer and deeper in love with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For those that don't know me, I'm Dan, and I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it's great to be with you and uh, have you here with us as we worship and prepare our hearts for the Christmas season. I have a heart that goes out to families of newborns, and uh, we have quite a few here in our church, and you can tell who they are because they're the ones walking around uh, like zombies, and they look like they haven't had any sleep for the last few weeks, and you know why they look like they haven't had any sleep? for the last few weeks, because they haven't. And, uh, and I remember those days well, and I remember uh, when the sun would go down, I used to get so depressed because I remembered how long it, the night would feel. Will it ever end? Is, is it going to ever come to a conclusion? Well, spiritually speaking, the people of Israel felt that way, but much, much worse. Towards the end of the Old Testament, we see that God spoke to his people through his prophets And then at the end of the Old Testament, there was what was called the 400 years of silence. They had the Old Testament writings, they had things prophets said in the past, but there was no one speaking on behalf of God for 400 years. It'd be kind of like if we had no New Testament, no sermons for 400 years. What kind of religious movement could withstand that? But the people of God hung in there because they hung on the words that they received previously, like something was going to happen, something was going to change. One of those words that they hung on to came from Micah chapter 5-2, where it says, Bethlehem, Epaphra, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you who will be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity and from ancient times, speaking of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ came to earth, he, he fulfilled over 200 Old Testament prophecies that were spoken about him previously. Another one they hung on to during those times of darkness, those 400 years, came from Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. Picture 400 years of silence and looking back at this and saying, one day, one day, the sun will rise and the darkness will be over. That's where the people of God were. They remembered these promises and those 400 years were dark and they were silent, but God was faithful. And what we're going to see in our passage today is God starts to move. And as he starts to move, he starts to bring out little glimpses of something amazing that's going to be happening. Something amazing that's going to change the world forever. That the things he talked about in the past are now going to come. And as it starts to happen, as people start to see that God is moving, it creates the age-old question in their mind that we still hear of today. What do I have to do in order to be accepted by God? That was a question that was coming. What do I have to do in order to be accepted by God? Many ask that question today. And they go on different ways and venues to try to get close and to try to get that acceptance. At Christmas, we celebrate God's faithfulness. 
During this Advent season, which means arrival or coming, we celebrate that God was faithful and he came to earth. We are in a series to prepare our hearts during the Advent season called the Songs of Christmas. And what we're doing during the series is we're looking at people's lives who, when God came and opened their heart and they were filled with the awe and the wonder of who God is, it caused them to burst forth in song. And declare the greatness of God. Last week we looked at Mary. We saw Mary's song. And today we're going to be looking at a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. He was the husband of Elizabeth. And he was a priest of Israel, which means that he took care of the temple. There was this temple in Jerusalem where the Jewish people would come and worship. And he was kind of on staff at this temple. There was uh, lots of different groups of priests, and they would have a schedule. And it just so happened that Zachariah's group was on during the season, and he was there. And while he was serving in this temple, an angel appeared to him and said, Your wife, who is beyond the years of childbearing is going to have a child and he's going to be a prophet to tell the one who's coming. That child is John the Baptist. And he didn't believe the angel. And so when the angel declared this and he didn't believe it, God took away his ability to speak for nine months while Elizabeth carried John the Baptist in her womb. And then when John the Baptist was born, they were saying, what do we call him? And he scribbled on a piece of paper, his name is John. And in that moment, God gave him the ability to speak again. And I think he gave him the ability to speak because he knew that he filled him with awe and wonder of who God is and what he's done. And he wanted to give voice to that. And the very first thing that Zechariah does when he gets his voice back is to declare in song how great and amazing God is. And how faithful he is. Let's take a look at this song of Zechariah. I'll be in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start off in verse 68. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, uh, we're glad you're checking it out. Luke is about three quarters of the way through. You'll kind of see Matthew, Mark, and then you'll get to Luke. Uh, I'll be on page 908 if you're using the Bible here in the worship center. Also, uh, if you are the app techie type, I want to tell you about a really cool tool. If you take our church center app and you open it up. Uh, Chris told you how to do that a little while ago. If you need help with that, we'll help you get started. But if you open up the Church Center app, there's sermon notes. You click on that, it has a whole list of all the notes that are in the bulletin, plus spots for you to add your notes in there. Uh, It's just an awesome tool. You're going to love it if you're wired that way and you want to follow in the app. So I encourage you to do that as well. As we look through this song of Zechariah, we're going to see four promises, four great promises from God. Four amazing promises. And the first one we're going to see is God's promise to David, who was a king in the Old Testament. God's promise to David. Let's look at verse, uh, let's start with 67 and go to 71. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets in ancient times. So he's leaning back to pass those 400 years. Salvation to our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. So the first thing is he says, blessed be the Lord, the God. He has visited us. He brought what he said he was going to do. He was faithful. 
400 years of silence, and God was faithful. Zechariah's song brings us back to the Old Testament fathers, and God promised them amazing things, and he promised David, this king, an amazing thing, but it wasn't just a promise. It was bigger than a promise. It was stronger than a promise. The word that we use is a covenant. God made covenant with David that he was going to do something great. And that covenant we see is in 2 Samuel 7 to 11. I have it on the screen here. This is God speaking to David in the Old Testament. He said, the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, meaning when you die, I will raise up after you your descendant. And there he's talking about his son Solomon. Who will come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Now he switches a little bit. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In the Old Testament, when you see kingdom forever, or when you see kingdom without end, he's no longer talking earthly king. He's talking about the King Jesus when he comes, specifically when he comes the second time. And what he starts the first time in his kingdom, he's going to complete and fulfill the second time when he comes. And this is a promise God gave to David, saying the one who's going to come who's going to set up this amazing kingdom that's going to last forever, will come through your line, will be a relative of yours, a distant ancestor. He will come, and he promised this to David thousands of years before the moment that we see where Zechariah sings, and Zechariah is declaring how faithful he is. Solomon built the temple for David, uh, for, for God. He was David's son, and then through their lineage, God raised up Jesus or sent Jesus Christ to save his people. Look at verse 69. It says, he raised up a horn of salvation for us. What in the world does that mean? That word horn is in reference to an animal's horns, probably a bull or an ox. In Deuteronomy 33, 17 tells us that that's a symbol of power, a symbol of strength. Uh, when you see horn used in the Old Testament, it's usually used most times as the symbol of power and lifting up the horn uh, in the Old Testament. The people hearing that would think of the power an animal has uh, when an animal tosses its horns on display. It's displaying their power. Experts in wildlife say that there's uh, Certainly with an ox or a bull, there is a certain wave they do, a certain display they do with their horns before they do a charge where they want to kill. Before they do the death charge, there's this wave they do that's different than all the other kind of waves. They're raising up their horn in power to prepare for a death charge. The horn is a weapon of power, of vengeance, but also beauty. And the horn of salvation that's raised up from David's house is God's mighty display of power in the birth of Jesus Christ. So Jesus coming to earth is a display of God's power. It's not just as gentle, meek, and it's all that, as gentle, as meek, as humble in the manger, but it's also this display of God's power that what he promised in the past, he's going to be faithful to do because he's a powerful God. And it says there's two aspects to this um, 
horn that's going to be raised up, this person of Jesus Christ. But before we get to those two things, I want you to just notice that it says that in the bottom of verse 68, that God has provided redemption for his people. How do we get accepted by God? The first thing we have to understand is it's provided by God. It originates with God. The rescue plan is with God. God provides, and he provides two things. First of all, redemption. Redemption. Jesus ransoms his people with his own blood. Redemption is a word associated with slavery. It means to purchase and buy out of someone who has been enslaved. And that's what this Messiah, Jesus, does. He frees his people who are enslaved from sin. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, he purchases, he redeems, he ransoms, he pays their payment. The sin of human beings, the sin of mankind, has caused us to be separated from God. And justly, we should be eternally separated from God, cast into judgment and pain and torment forever in hell. But God loved us so much, he did something that was prophesied through the ages, knowing what would happen. He sent Jesus Christ to be our redemption, to save us, to redeem us, to free us. So he says, God provided this rescue. God provided this ransoming to happen. That's one of the things we celebrate at Christmas time. That when God sent Jesus Christ to earth, he sent him with a purpose to redeem us, to bring us back into relationship with him. Not only was there redemption, it says there's also deliverance. This means not only deliverance from earthly enemies, but ultimately at the final return of Jesus Christ, there'll be deliverance from all enemies, all the effects of sin, all the effects of Satan, All suffering, all heartache, all sinful behaviors will be done forever when Christ comes a second time. Zechariah's song is a bold declaration that God is displaying his power as John the Baptist is born and going to come and tell the rest of the story. The horn of salvation is pointing to the fact in answering the question of how we get accepted by God. How do we find acceptance by God? Through Jesus Christ alone. It says this in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, Jesus Christ. God knew what he was doing. He saw this plan. And he says, this plan will work. Jesus will save completely. Whoever we are, whatever we have done, whatever we have done, murder, adultery, perversion, stealing, lying, jealousy, hateful gossip, whatever we have done, God is providing one, Jesus Christ, who is able to save us from our sins and forgive us and bring us back into proper relationship with God. He can save us fully, completely, and eternally. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the most powerful action you can imagine from the most powerful God. According to this, Jesus saving people from their sins is a powerful, powerful thing. The next promise we want to look at is God's promise to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham, let's look at 72 to 75. 
So he promised, Zechariah says he promised David, now he's saying he promised Abraham. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, Abraham, he has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hands of our enemies to serve him without fear. God made a promise to David, and it was a covenant promise, and God made a covenant promise to Abraham. And the promise he made to Abraham, we see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. It says, I will make you, God is coming to Abraham, and he's telling him this. Now remember, this is the guy whose wife could not have children, who was uh, beyond the age of child rearing. And he says, I will make you into a great nation. Abraham probably laughed and said, how are you going to do that? I will bless you and I will make your name great. It's going to get even bigger. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. Now don't miss this. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is what God was promising Abraham. That word peoples means nations. All the ethnicities of the world. Basically, what God was saying to Abraham here is all the ethnicities of the world are going to have an opportunity to be saved forever because one is going to come through your lineage, through your line named Jesus Christ, who's going to save the people from their sin. I'm going to take you who are barren, Abraham and Sarah, and through, you're not only going to have kids, but you're going to have a line. You're going to have an ancestry. an ancestry. And at the end of that line, part of that line is going to be Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself, that's going to bless people by giving them the gift of salvation. He will save their people from their sins. Not only did God give this promise, this covenant to Abraham, but in Genesis 22:16, God told Abraham, that promise I gave you, I swear upon my character that I will do this. It's the only time in the Bible we see anywhere where God used that phraseology where he said that, that I swear beyond, on my character that I will do this. This promise that Jesus is going to come was starting to happen. Zechariah was starting to see it through the birth of his son. He was starting to see this take place The long-awaited time, the 400 years of silence was ending, and now it was starting to happen. Look at verse 74 and 75. He is giving us this privilege since we have been rescued from the hands of our enemies to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness and in his presence all our days. See, I love that because when you are walking with God today, the way you get your holiness and your righteousness is by living in his presence, empowered by him. From Zachariah's perspective, this blessing Jesus empowers people to serve God. Why? Because Jesus Christ frees the enslaved heart. Jesus Christ frees the enslaved heart. And the only right, just response when your heart is set free from slavery is to serve and love the one who did this. But it's not just serving. It's serving without fear of judgment because of what the cross has done. It's serving in holiness and righteousness in his presence. See, the work of Jesus Christ enables this to happen. And Zechariah was overcome that this is going to start to take place now. See, he knew that the human race needed a righteousness that they weren't living up to. 
He knew we needed a righteousness that doesn't come from ourselves. To stand before God requires righteousness, and we do not have it in our own strength apart from God. Theologian David Rich said this. He said, picking and choosing and deciding which sins are trivial and which are the biggies is a completely human tendency. As a young man once told me, it's kind of like a heavenly bank account. As long as I make sure there's more deposits than withdrawals, then I'm in good shape. Theologian David Rich said, I shared the biblical reality with him that that is not true. I said, it's more like this. The very first time you sin, you withdraw the whole account, and the account was empty and closed forever. He thought that was a bit harsh, but I explained that I didn't make the rules. God did. And I shared this truth with him not to depress him, but to awaken his heart to make him aware of the mercy of God to see what happens next. If you are a believer, if you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, if you've repented and you believe and you live for him, here's what happens. Your account has been closed, but a new one has been opened up in Jesus Christ's name. You are wealthy, but you cannot make another deposit or take another withdrawal. As Christians, we just get to live off the benefits of this new account living off the interest, if you will, or to put it a better way, living off the blessing granted to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, Zechariah saw this happening. He saw what was coming, and it burst forth in him in song because he knew that in order to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. In order to go to heaven when you die and you stand before God, when, for God to let you into heaven forever, you have to live your life on earth in absolute perfection. But the problem is none of us have done that. The problem is none of us can do that. We need a perfection that comes from an, another person. Not only can we not live in perfection, we can't create enough perfection in of ourselves to get us to heaven. We fully rely and depend on the perfection of another, one who was to come, and that perfection is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. He is the only, that's why Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the only one who has lived righteously enough to grant the gift of heaven. And what he did on the cross, if you believe and you repent, he takes that gift and he applies it to your life so you can come. The glory and the wonder and the awe of this grabbed Zechariah to the point where he had to sing. And it grabbed him as he thought about the ages past. He thought of the 400 years of Israel and the people of God reminding themselves. And then it grabbed him when he looked and he saw his son born. When he saw his son born... It grabbed him even further. Look at verses 76 and 77. Gazing at his son now, he says, And you, child, will be called, not the Most High, the prophet of the Most High. This is John the Baptist. And you will go before the Lord, the one who's coming, to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of 
of their sins. I love that. Zechariah was filled with awe and wonder as his gaze fell upon his newborn son because he knew that God was faithful. He knew that this is all changing in this moment, that his son was the first prophet born in 400 years to declare what was going to come, that now God was going to speak to the world that salvation is coming, that his son would be the forerunner. He'd be a prophet and not just any prophet Jesus says, the prophet, the one who's going to declare that God is going to give the knowledge of salvation. But it's not just a head knowledge. It's not just a theory. It's a personal knowledge. It's an inward relational experience that John the Baptist was going to preach the forgiveness of sins, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not a religion, but that you can now be brought back into right relationship with God and relate to God as a person because of what's coming. John always pointed to the work in the person of Jesus Christ. And he saw that through, he saw that his son was going to be the forerunner to what's coming. So God promised us through John the Baptist. And finally, God's promise is an expression is done in love. Look at verses 78 to 79. I love how God, through Zechariah, completed this song. It's so amazing. Because of our God's merciful compassion, think 400 years of silence, darkness, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness. The actual original wording says to shine on those who are sitting in darkness, who are sitting in silence, who are sitting in, the, the, in oppression, waiting for themselves in the shadow of death. Why is he going to do that? To guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah in this song in these last two verses reminds us of the amazing faithful love of God. That God saw his people in a hopeless, desperate state and he didn't forget about them. But he remembered and he did something. That's why we celebrate Advent in the church to remind us of the coming of Christ and what God did. And last week we lit the candle of hope. This week in Advent the candle is the candle of faithful love. To remind us that God was faithful and he loved his people He saw them sitting in this quiet darkness of um, 400 years. And he wanted to remind them, I did not leave you there. I am faithful to what I say. And the sun is going to rise. And it's going to rise and give us this person, Jesus Christ. And there's two expressions that we see of love here. One is that when God comes and gives us this gift of Jesus Christ, it's going to bring intimacy with God. That now God's people can relate to God in an intimate way. God's not just his religious concept. He's not just his religious duty, but he's a person that he wants intimacy. He wants a relationship with his children like a child with a parent. The Apostle John put it like this. But to all who did receive him, he gave him the right to be children of God. See, if you repent and you receive, you ask Jesus Christ into your life, all of a sudden your identity changes to child of God. Those who believe in his name, who were born, you don't get this because of natural descent or the will of the flesh, someone decided that you were born, or the will of man. You get this because of God and what he has done when you give your life to him. 
Because of Jesus, we can draw close. God wants to be involved in the daily things of your life. God wants to be involved and be involved with your deepest hurt. God wants to be present in your strongest fear. God wants to be there in your biggest regret. Because it's in those places where he turns it all around. And he brings healing. He brings love. He brings new creation. He brings life and love and strength to weary souls. That's what God does. So not only is there intimacy of God in this offer in Jesus Christ, but there's also the forgiveness of sins. Could there be anything greater than knowing that all that stuff you regret, all those things you wish you could change, that you can get forgiveness for? And it just takes the humility to embrace it. I love this verse around Christmas time from Matthew chapter 121. It says, she, talking about Mary, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. We are a human race in need of someone to save us. And the Old Testament people knew that. And then all of a sudden there was silence. And they had to hang on to God's word. And now in this moment that we see in the text, things are moving. God is going. And he's going to bring a gift. And the gift he's going he's to bring is going to be the only place you can go to to find forgiveness of sin. It's the only place you can go to that will give you a clean conscience. It's the only place you can go to that will give you a clean slate and a fresh start. Jesus Christ alone It's the only place in the universe you can run to. And those who've experienced this will tell you it's like a cosmic weight of guilt removed from your shoulders. To have a new life in Christ, being in relationship with God, have you done this? Have you invited Jesus Christ, this gift that we celebrate during this time, into your life? All you have to do is say, God, I want to live for you. Would you come? I repent of my sin. I believe in who you are and what you did for me on the cross. You just talk to him like you would a friend and you have that conversation. Invite him into your life and then you radically follow him. If you've never done that, do it today. Pastor John Ortberg talks about friends of his. uh, They live on the coast of California on the ocean. It's a tough life, especially this time of year. And they went out surfing with friends, and he had a friend of his named Jimmy, and Jimmy had a son named Davy, and they went out. Uh, Davy went out to go surfing, and he went way out, and all of a sudden, Davy got caught in a riptide. It came out of nowhere, and it started pulling him further and further away from shore, and Davy kept fighting and fighting and fighting, trying to get back to shore. And the more he fought, the more worn out he got, and the more this riptide would pull him out. And Jimmy, his dad, saw what was happening to his son, and so he dove into the water and went out there to try to save his son. And all of a sudden, before you know it, Jimmy's caught in the same riptide, and it's pulling both of them out, and they're fighting, and they're fighting, and they're trying to get out there. And then there was a person who was surfing with them who knew knew the ocean really, really well. And he knew that no matter how hard you fight against a riptide, you're not going to win. And so what he did is he ran down the side of the beach as fast as he could, about a quarter of a mile. Then he dove out into the water to the side of them. And he put his hands up and he said, come to me. 
He just starts screaming that to him, come towards me, come towards me, because he knew the way you get out of a riptide is not to go right to the beach, that's your normal reaction, but you got to go to the side, and then as you go to the side, you get out of it, and he said, come to me. What a spiritual implication this has for us. You see, when we think about how do we get accepted by God, we try to do all this stuff, all this work, we kind of rely on our own senses, our own instincts, and all that stuff leads to death. The way you have right relationship with God, the way you get accepted by God, the way you get forgiven by God is you run to Jesus. You don't try to create it on your own. You don't try to fight all this stuff on your own. You run and you surrender to the person who's holding up his arms saying, come to me. That's how you do it. In the bulletin this week, I'm going to encourage you to do something. There's three prayers that you're going to find in your bulletin. And I encourage you to carve out 15 minutes this week to sit silently before God as you prepare your heart for the Christmas season. Sit silently and look at these three prayers and just say, Jesus, I ask forgiveness for, and that sin that you know that you have, that you feel puts up this wall between you and God, I want to encourage you to repent once and for all for that. Ask for forgiveness and then pray, will you please free me from this? Then I want you to say, Jesus, I want to bring you the pain of, and you fill in the blank, that woundedness, that hurt, that thing that you've been carrying for so long, that colors all of how you see and you view life. Will you bring that to Jesus? Say, Jesus, will you take that? And then I say, Jesus, will you please heal me? And then I want you to say, Jesus, I'm tired of the fear of other human beings. I'm tired of the fear of not having enough money. I'm tired for the fear. You name whatever that fear is. Say, Jesus, will you help me trust you? Carve out 15 minutes this week to spend time with God, to put into action. You see, God does not want to be a religious concept. God is a person. He wants to relate to his people. And the age-old question says, what do I have to do in order to be accepted by God? You run to the one whose arms are open wide. You run to Jesus and you believe in him, the promised gift. And then that leads often to another question that I hear often. What do I have to do to live a holy life? Zechariah talked about being blameless and righteousness and holiness. What do I have to do to live a holy life? Don't miss this. Listen up. The mercy of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God is the fuel for holiness. The mercy of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God is the fuel to holiness. You will never be holy in your own self-will to the level you need to be. You will never be holy with your own determination The thing that fuels holiness is the mercy of God, the love of God, and the forgiveness of God. So if you want to live a life of holiness, if you want to live a life that's accepted by God, there's only one true right way to do it, and that is to take your heart and you place it underneath the fountain of the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. That's the only way. You'll live a life of holiness or a life that's accepted by God by taking your heart, 
and placing it underneath the fountain of the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. And such a love that we have is what we celebrate this Christmas season. It's what made Zechariah look, put it all together, and rejoice in song. Let's pray that this same Spirit of God awakens this inside of all of us right now. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you there's no forgiveness anywhere like this. We thank you that there's nothing we can do in ourselves to make this happen. And you saw us in that desperate place and you sent your son to be the ransom, to be the deliverer, to be the righteousness that we need. God, we were hopelessly lost in darkness until you moved and provided. And so we thank you for this amazing provision. And God, I pray for the Crossview Church family right now. If there's those of us that have given our lives to you, I ask that you'd open our eyes afresh and anew to realize what we did and how amazing this is. And for those of us among us who have not done that, God, I ask you, meet them where they're at today and allow them to surrender finally to you and your will that they may be made new. And so, God, we ask you to move in this place during this season where we remember what you did. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.